bit. Okay. Thank you. Some of you might not know me. Um, you probably know more about my kids than about me just because of Pastor Dave and Becky. They are proud of their grandchildren, all their grandchildren. And um, uh, But my, I'm Bruce Wengler. I married Pastor Dave and Becky's oldest daughter, Nicole, a few years ago. <laughs> and... Uh, Actually, we were, we were very honored to be able to, in 1993, come here to Bundle Life Ministries and serve Pastor Dave and Becky in this congregation, and we served alongside many of you. So I, I see some familiar faces, many new faces over the years, and we served here 90, from 93 till 97, in which, um, actually back in kind of 96, my heart was really stirred towards a, a pastor, and I talked with Pastor Dave about it, and he said that bears witness with me, and so I... I contacted just different people that uh, were over me in the organization I'm ordained through. And, and long story short, we ended up in Winterset in 1997, and we've been there since then, just a few years. And, uh, but uh, Bunnell Life Ministries is, is a home church for us, and it's, it's, been, it's a very dear place to us. We were married right here on this platform. A lot of good things that happened in my life here in this in this very room, and so it's an honor to be able to to be back. And um, I trust that that you'll receive this morning. I just want to bless you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning. And I was I was thinking um, actually I was thinking about a, a scripture passage that we'll just start with. You know, Psalm twenty three is the shepherd psalm, and one of the things in the the very last verse of Psalms uh, twenty three. If I can bring open my Bible app here, it actually says that surely uh, goodness and mercy will follow me. What follows you? Do you remember that? Remember that um, Charlie Brown cartoon, and there was a character there. Was his name Pigpen? He had the he had a, like something that was always around him. That where he went. There was stuff around him. The truth is, there are, there's stuff that's around our life. Stuff that blesses people. Stuff that makes life easier for people or harder for people. The truth is, things follow us. In fact, Jesus said about people, he said, you, can, you know people by their fruit. And fruit, one thing about fruit is, fruit's not, fruit is, doesn't grow in a day. It takes season. It takes time. But fruit follows you. Sometimes you don't even have to defend yourself. Your fruit tells on you. What follows you uh, tells on you. So here he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. So this morning, what I want to do, it's on my heart to, I want to talk about the holes that we leave in life. The holes we leave in life. Every one of us leave tracks. We leave things behind us, where we've been, what we've done. And I want to talk to you about the holes because you can, with purpose, choose what it is you're going to leave. And when I was thinking about this, I immediately start, I thought about three different holes, kinds of holes. I thought about the pit. Kind of see this kind of hole here on the screen is kind of a hole and you've got to be careful because if you dig the hole too deep you might have trouble getting out of it there's another kind of hole that i thought about we'll talk about this morning called the void sometimes you ever heard they, they, they left a void or there's just a big gap there there's you know sometimes for example you might out of uh nobody in this room but have you ever had a gap on your resume what happened during those years well we're not going to really talk about that there's a there's a void there and and sometimes if it's too big of a void people are wondering what what there was a hole left what happened in that hole there's a void and then the last kind of hole i want to talk with you about today are wells a whole different kind of hole that we leave and the good news is this if you are in a pit or have dug a pit or if you have experienced the, the void and the emptiness, maybe someone else has left or maybe the pain of something you've left, the good news is this, and I know this because you're breathing, because you're here, you're alive. The good news is that you and I can choose in how we do life with Him. You know, the Bible says, and we sang about this this morning, and he, he, He's a builder, but you know something? Or the life we build? But the Bible says in Psalms, unless the Lord builds a house, 
they who labor, labor in vain that build it. Well, how does, you can stand back and say, Lord, build that house. It's kind of like the photographer. You heard, especially here in Iowa, you heard of the photographer that was driving through Iowa. And it was in the springtime, and kind of late spring. And the, the soybeans hadn't canopied yet. You could still see each individual row. And he was out taking you know, pictures of the field. And the farmer who owned the field came by and, and kind of stopped to see who's this guy, like, you know, in the edges of my field. And he said, well, I'm a photographer. And they just got talking. And the photographer said, isn't this wonder, wonderful, the, the, the work of God? Look at this. It's just beautiful, the work of God. And the farmer said, yeah, you should have saw that field when God had it by himself. <laughs> the truth is it takes, God does a work, but he works with you. So people stand back and say, Lord, build this, build this. And he, you know, he's a, we're workers together with him. So he's waiting for you to show up. And then there's other people that they show up with their own plans, their own tools, their own skills. And they're trying to do something. And the Bible says, unless he's a builder with it, it's in vain that's built. And so the good news is this, is if you've had pits, if you had voids, you can begin building wells. So when I think of the pit, the most probably common thing, story, person in the Bible, when I think of the pit, I think of Joseph. Is it okay if I come down here? I'm not really a, a up on the stage kind of guy. Is it all right? Because I, I kind of like to walk. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. I won't spit past the second row. <laughs> I think of Joseph. You know, boy, could Joseph ever have dreamed what was going to happen to him when he was dreaming his dreams? And, of course, we, we know a lot of things about Joseph. We learn about Joseph. I mean, talk about bad judgment. I mean, he knows. How many here have a lot of siblings? You've got to be careful when you have a lot of siblings, especially if you're the middle one or the young one. And so Joseph already knows he's daddy's favorite. They don't like him. And then he comes in the morning, comes out to tell his brothers about his great dreams. Not good judgment there, Joseph, right? And then later, later his father didn't have good judgment. I mean, because, you know, his dad should, kinda, should have kind of known, you know, the older ones really don't care for him. So his dad sends him out to the field. Hey, go check up on your brothers and see what they're doing and come back and tell me. So they see him coming and they're like, hey, here comes the dreamer. And of course, they, they hated him. And so what did they do? They, they wanted to kill him. Well, thank God for Reuben had a little bit of sense in their madness. And he said, let's not kill him. They put him in a pit and held him until they sold him into slave trafficking. Boy, talk about a pit. Amen. In the Old Testament, oftentimes pits are, are referred to as traps. They're traps. They're things that are dug to entrap maybe an animal. There they, they threw him in a pit. Psalms chapter 7 verse 15 says, He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch what he made. And when folks are trying to like set traps for folks, you got to be careful. Because you'll, you'll probably fall in the very pit. You'll get entrapped by the very thing you're trying to entrap someone else in. And sometimes in people's madness or their pain or their fear or trying to control someone, they dig pits. In fact, years ago, many, many years ago, had a young lady who, she's had a lot of pain in her life and, and uh, a lot of brokenness. And, and she, she, she called, she was hurting, she needed to come in and see me. And, and so, you know, I said, come on in. And so as I was praying, the Lord, the Lord said, you need to tell her to stop digging. So she came in. Well, you know, I wasn't really sure. I knew a little bit. So she came in and she's telling me what's going on. And, 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 and what she's describing is, is her circumstances were difficult, but she was exasperating them. She was making them far worse. And so she's going and she's, you know, I'm just letting her talk. And then she stopped and I said, you know, the Lord told me before you came to, and you started talking to me. He came, he told me, he said, uh, actually he said, tell her to take the shovel out of her hand and stop digging. I said, you've been digging. And it's, it's, it's painful where you're at. It's hard where you're at. But it, part of the turnaround is stop the bleeding, stop the digging, stop getting deeper. So here it says in Psalms that the guy who dug the pit, he's the one that actually fell in it. And we don't want pits in our life. Amen? Amen. Pits and snares, often they're fashioned by our own hands. And um, 
Psalms chapter 9, verse 15. I'll give a lot of scriptures. That's kind of what I do. I, the Word of God changed my life. I, I grew up, a, I grew up a, 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 in religion. And I grew up, you know, didn't really know the Word of God. I started reading my Bible. Thank God for the Bible. Amen. Amen. Got saved. Got filled with the Holy Ghost. Didn't even really know what it was. Amen. Amen. And uh, it, the Word of God changed my life. In fact, the Bible says the entrance of His Word gives light and understanding to the simple. And I was that. And so I still get understanding. And I still get light. So think. And so I endeavor. I give a lot of Word. I don't expect you all to remember it. No, but I tell you, here's the thing about the Word of God and the, and the Spirit of God, our teacher and our guide, is that we will hear something from the Word. And that one Word, that one thing can change your life. It's kind of like coming to Grandma's house. She doesn't expect you to eat everything on the counter. But there may be one thing that really sits right with you. And I believe this morning by the Holy Ghost that there's going to be something you're going to hear that's going to help you in how you direct your steps in life. Amen. So that life's not pushing you around. Your schedule's not pushing you around. Yeah, you got schedules. Yeah, you got responsibilities. But you're doing things on purpose so that not only goodness and mercy is following you, you've got wells behind you that serve generations. Right. Amen. Amen. Psalms chapter 9, verse 15 says, The heathen are sunk down into the pit. The message translation says, The snare that made them. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which He executes. The wicked is snared in the work of His own hands. So, the pit, often intended for somebody else, but often gets caught in by the very one digging it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 says, They which will be rich fall into a temptation and a snare. That's, just not, that's not an indictment against people who are wealthy, but if wealth is all you chase, you're going to cut corners. Some corners you're going to have to let the wealth go because you're going to have to compromise who you are to get it. And if, and if that's all you chase, you're going to cut corners and it's going to cost you. So it says here, they who will be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not the root. Money's no different than that chair you're sitting in. It just serves you. Anybody here have your favorite chair? I grew up in my house, you know, when I was a little kid, my dad had his chair. And we could sit in his chair until dad wanted to sit in his chair. That's his chair. You could say he loved that chair. I don't know if he loved that chair or not. But I'm telling you, he didn't, we wouldn't think, well, that chair is just an evil chair. It's just a chair. Your money is just money. Now, if my dad started compromising things in the family for his chair, we'd start having an issue with that chair. Mom might, you know, might find that chair in a garage sale. Yeah, amen. See, it's when you love something. See, love always speaks of relational connection. You love people, right? How many here love ice cream? How many here love tacos? I, have, I understand we're having tacos later. But you don't love tacos like you love your kids. Are you with me? Right? You, you don't love comfort more than you love your spouse. Yep. See, love is relational. So if you love money more than you love other things in life, you're going to hurt. Actually, you're going to hurt things, that you don't, people that you don't want to hurt. And so here says, The love of money is the root of every evil, which some coveted after have erred from the faith. So the pit. Let's not be pit diggers. Amen? amen. Hallelujah. Let's not be pit diggers. Can I hear an amen? amen. The second one I want to talk about is the void. The void is probably a little bit more common in our life because we live in a in, in our day, in our culture, right here where we live in central Iowa, it's, it's not uncommon when, when the heat gets turned up, people bail. When the ship starts going under the water a little bit, the, the people bail. When things get tough, I'm just out of here. Right? Amen. I mean, where, where are the folks that have got, you know, 30-year careers in the same field? They're fewer and fewer. Because people, it gets hard. I don't like it. I'm just going to switch. And if you switch, I don't know that about you. And sometimes switching is not a bad thing. But what I'm saying is the culture where it's easy just to step out of things, step away from things, not even thinking, who is that going to affect? Is it going to affect anybody if I just step out of these things? A lot of folks don't think about that. I think the void's a lot more common, the kind of hole that's a lot more common that, that we are touched with or that we possibly leave in our life. The truth is you are a supply 
for somebody. Not just what you have. You are a supply for someone. Your presence brings security for someone. Amen. I recall this as a little kid. I grew up in North Dakota on a farm. And of course, sometimes, you know, I've got, there's seven kids in my family. So there's a bro, my oldest brother, two girls, me, two girls, and my youngest brother. So my sisters would babysit at a very young age. Mom and dad would leave and they'd go off to someone's house and play cards or whatnot. And sometimes we'd be home alone as kids and like really bad storms would come through. But I could tell you this, when mom and dad were home and the storms came through, no big deal. I mean, yeah, the lightning just hit and fire shot out of the outlets, but mom and dad are home. <laughs> yeah, I just heard something creak. You know, there's a tornado. They say there's a tornado a couple miles away, and I'm there in the house, and I just heard something. I think the roof's about to go, but mom and dad are here. They, that's their job. They got that covered. As long as mom and dad are here. But when mom and dad would be away... And some, this the smallest thunder would crack. In fact, we up, lived up in North Dakota, and at that time, they, they, the uh, U.S. Air Force uh, would still fly different jet missions, and every once in a while, they'd break the sound barrier. And our whole house, and it wasn't that common, but our whole house would just, I mean, you think the windows were going to come out. Uh, us kids are up under the table. <laughs> Mom and Dad aren't there. I mean, what are we going to do? It's panic. I'm just saying this. Your presence supplies. You might not even be able to put your finger on it, but you are a supply to someone, not just by what you have, by who you are. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Listen to this. But woe... Now when the Bible says woe... It's got to be bad. Woe to him that is alone when he falls. For he has not another to help him up. Don't have a void in your life. Have people in your life. Have, have a few people that are close in your life. That are close enough that... If you're slipping, if you're falling, if you've had an accident of some sort, not just in the natural, if your soul is troubled, you can reach out to somebody. Social media can't do it. You're going to need somebody that can get to you. Amen. It's important. We live with too much void in our life. You know? I heard about the young gal who... She was kind of getting after her elderly parents. They were in their, their retirement age. And, and, and so she, she was all concerned about them because, you know, she, they're, and they were active. And she was saying, she was talking with them about it, you know, I'm really concerned about you. And they said, well, we've got friends and we're busy. We do things. And she's like, yeah, but I've got like 700 friends on Facebook. <laughs> and you don't have 700 friends. They said, yeah, but we're going bike riding with some of our friends this afternoon. And you're going back to your apartment and look at your Facebook picture. <laughs> the truth is, really have real people in your life. Because there are going to be times where, um, like a, a guy in our church, he calls the world, the spirit of this world, Brutus. Where Brutus is going to show up and want to knock you down. Amen. Mm-hmm. And you, you're going to need some some help on your right, some help on your left, someone behind you, and someone in front of you. Amen? Hallelujah. So I ask the question, have you left someone alone? Have you walked away? Have you left someone alone? You know, the Good Samaritan is a good example of being left alone. How many here are busy? Wow, you got great lives. Really? You're not busy? You don't have, like, how many have stuff going on tomorrow you can't just go do what you want to do? Yeah, welcome to life, right? I'm not saying you're too busy. I'm just, you got stuff, right? Here's the thing about life. Life doesn't ask you, what's your plan like today? You got a busy day today? The guy that's hurting that needs maybe some, some time, he doesn't ask, you know, life doesn't say, I knew this is inconvenient for you. 
doesn't ask. Sometimes, one of the things that I think happened with the, the, the story about the Good Samaritan, because remember different people came by and looked, and in fact they kind of avoided, I can't deal with that today. I just got to keep, I got to get to where I'm going. I'm thankful Jesus wasn't that way. You know, so many times in the gospel, Jesus is on his way to something, and he allows moments of interruption to help people. And that's hard to do when you're too busy. Amen? And so I think it's good to, to keep like, margin in your life. Remember the old school, the school paper? I mean, when I was a kid, you know, that was a long time ago. That's been when he had tube TV. Some of you don't know what that is. And you'd get your notebook, you, you'd have margins on the side, right? Live your life like that. Where you've got some room, always room, for interruptions. Don't live edge to edge in your life. Because if you do, you're going to leave voids. You're going to leave voids. You won't have the room to take the moment where, that people need, that you care about. And I've been there. I've been there. And, and I don't like it. So I endeavor to learn from that. Hallelujah. So the Good Samaritan. You know, sometimes we think, well, if I just don't see it, it's easier. No, it's not easier because you know that, that person needed me. Years ago, I'll just share this a little bit. Years ago... Um, we were, uh, I got a good, you know, I got a number of good friends. One of my good friends worked with him, is in my wedding, and uh, he's a minister. And, and uh, I was awakened in the night, and I was thinking about him, and, um, and I was just prompted to pray for him. And I, it was one of those nights where I was, I was having a good sleep, you know, and I was so tired, you know. And, and so, you know, I just prayed a little bit, and then I drifted off to sleep. You know, it happens sometimes when you pray at night in your bed. It's probably, if you want to finish, you probably need to get out of bed and not get so comfy. Cause... And then the next night, I woke up again in the night with this urgency to pray for him. And that night, so I prayed, and I thought, you know, I'm going to contact him. And, and I, I kind of got a release in prayer, and I went back to sleep, and I forgot all about it. About a week later, I get a call from this guy. Good friend of mine. Doesn't live anywhere near. And he began to tell me some things that he was going through in, in life, and my heart just broke. Not only for what he was going through, my heart broke. I actually began to weep because he was going through excruciating circumstances, and a week earlier, I had prompting by the Holy Ghost to reach out to him, and I didn't do it. And I could sense the supply of a friend of a trusted friend in his moment of need and because I was just being insensitive I left a void to add to the things he was going through and I never I'm not doing that again I may not know what's going on but God knows and if there's a couple times that the Holy Ghost is, is doing it again I need to take a moment step back because somebody might need something amen voids that we leave the Apostle Paul experienced a void in his life. In 2 Timothy, let's look at this, chapter 4, verse 10. How many here, as we're turning there, would be bold enough to say, yeah, I've, I've had some voids in my life? Amen. And here's the thing, God is so faithful. Amen. He won't leave you without. He'll bring a substitute in. He'll bring a, another kind in. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me. Now, you really don't want to be that guy because remember, the Word of God is forever. The Word will remain forever. And this is in the Word. Demas, you want to, you want to be known in history? <laughs> don't be known for this. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. But we don't know about the other two guys, why they left. We know Titus, actually, Paul sent him to places for the work. But Paul is saying, Demas forsook me. These other guys aren't with me either anymore. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark, and this is such a good redemption story, a restoration story, I should say. This is John Mark. This is the John Mark that Silas, I'm sorry, that Barnabas was so adamant about keeping on his missionary journey that Paul put his foot down and says, he can't go. He's detrimental to the work. So well, what's the restoration story? 
John Mark went back and grew up and actually got the heart of God towards the Gentiles. He wanted to see the Gentiles saved. And later in life, the Apostle Paul, who the, 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 the contention between Barnabas and Paul was so severe that they parted ways. And then Paul and Silas went and finished the, the work. But what happened, to John, what happened to John Mark? He's not going by John Mark anymore. He's going by Mark. And now you can see this. Paul is saying, bring Mark with you. He's profitable for me in ministry. Something turned around and changed in that guy. And now God is going to use him. Isn't that good? Yeah. How many in here have ever, you look, as you look back in your past, you thought, oh, that was a bonehead decision. Well, that, that hurt people. That wasn't, I didn't think real clear on that one. Maybe I was selfish on that. Maybe I was full of fear on that. I can't ever be used again. It's not true. It's not true. So he says, so, so bring Mark. But can you tell in the writing, Paul is saying, there's folks that have gone away from me, and, and I don't have the kind of help around me that I need. So come, bring Mark with you. Bring Tychus. He says, Tychus, I've sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when you come, bring it with you. The books, especially the parchments. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much evil. Well, I tell you, you start getting people saved, and people start stop having idol worship, and they stop buying idols from the coppersmith. And the coppersmith's budget just got cut in half because his revenue's dipping. And you see, he's not saved. Are you with me? It's kind of like the, the guy who, remember the demoniac who had all the, the legion of devils in him and Jesus delivered him and those demons went out and they went into that herd of swine and then they, because they're just, the devil's just about destruction. And then the herd, herd of swine ran over the cliff, the edge to their death, just another manifest destruction. But somebody owned those pigs. Somebody took a hit. See, the devil doesn't care. And Alexander didn't care about what Paul was doing. He cared about how it affected him. And so he was bringing harm against Paul and his ministry. And he's just telling him, he did me much evil. And the, let the Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou where also, for he has greatly withstood our words. Verse 16, at my first no man stood with me. What a void. See, we look back now and think, why wouldn't anyone want, why wouldn't any believer want to be with the Apostle Paul? Because it was new and it was hard. It cost you everything. And Paul said, nobody stood with me at the first. But all men forsook me, for, forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, see, but here's what Paul is saying. Everybody left, there's a void. But I'm telling you this, verse 17. The Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. You see, well, see, Pastor, that's how it was supposed to be. No, how it was supposed to be was God standing with him and people standing with him. God joined people to him for the work of the ministry. And for various reasons, they weren't there. I think the void often speaks of self-will. How many, how many strong individuals are independent? Well, I'm one. I'm not going to speak against that. I'm telling you, if you're going to be a believer in 2019, going into 2020, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, the rest of your life, you're going to have to have some fortitude about you. Yeah. You're going to have to know who he is, who you are, what you believe, what you stand on. Or you're just going to be like a wind tossed in the wind, like a reed in the wind, just bowing. And there, nothing can be built with that. You know, they don't build houses out of reeds. Amen. The difficult part when you're strong is you got to also know how to use that strength in yielding and not be self-willed. The same strength to see when, when you don't, for example, some might say, well, and if you know me a little bit, you're just uh, stubborn. No, I'm resolute. <laughs> Thousand will fall at this side and ten thousand will fall at that side, and it will not come near me. Amen. See now, if you're not in the, if you're not yielded to God, it'll work against you. You'll just be difficult to live with. But God doesn't want to take that out of you. He wants you to learn, you to learn how to use that strength and yield it to Him, so He can lead you in the things He has for you in this day of grayness. I believe that the voice speaks of self-will, rebellious, 
the way of Balaam. You remember the prophet Balaam? Balaam was an Old Testament prophet who was crooked. It's crazy, I know. And, and the Spirit of God would come on him and he'd prophesy. He was a real prophet of God, but he was crooked. You could hire him. So King Balak wanted to, Balak was the king who wanted to overcome Israel, but he could, he'd attack the nation of Israel. He'd attack him, but he couldn't. And so he, hired, he heard about this prophet. Let me tell you, if, if, if the word is out that you're for hire, you've got a problem. So he comes to Balaam and he's going to hire Balaam to curse, put a curse, curse Israel so that I can over. And Balaam takes him up on it. So he gets up, he gets ready to curse Israel, but instead of cursing Israel, he blesses Israel. Kind of scratches his head. He's like, Balak, I can't, what do, what do I do? And Balak's not happy. Are you really for me or against me? No, no, I was planning on cursing. But you know what, Balak, you can't curse people who God's blessed. I get this. But I can teach you how you can lead them out of the blessing of God. I can't curse them. You can't overcome them. But here's what you do. And Revelation tells us this, that Balaam taught Balak how to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. So here's what you do, Balak. You come in nice. You're an ally. You're a friend. You get their sons to marry your daughters. You get your daughters to marry their sons where they begin to worship your idols. They begin to, to embrace you as a people, your way of life as a people. It will get them to compromise in who they are with their, create, with their covenant God. And the blessing, the hand of God will come off of them and they'll be vulnerable for you to overcome them. And that's exactly what he did. Talk about a void. The prophet of God should have been there cooperating not only with the Spirit of God, but for the people of God. He left a void. Amen? Sometimes it happens. How many in here have been touched by voids in life? Maybe you've left one. Sometimes fear. People will leave. They'll run from things because they're just afraid. But what's behind them is a big void. People leave. You know, people leave. People leave families. People leave friendships. People leave churches. I'm going to read, actually, I got this excerpt from a book about what happens in a congregation when people leave a void. And I don't know anything. I haven't been back here except for... Uh, we come generally once a year on the week of our vacation. We vacation in Okaboji, and on that Sunday, we come back here for service, and we enjoy that. But I've been pastoring in, in Winterset for over 22 years. We've had all kinds of things happen. And here's the thing that I know. It's nothing unique to Winterset. It's the same kind of things that happened in Clear Lake, that happened in Oklahoma. It's the same kind of things that happen around the world because we're people. And people do people things. Amen? So you don't take it personal. You just be aware of it. and you, 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 Amen? So let me just read. Because I think sometimes we don't think about our decisions and how they, in our actions, and how they affect other people. But I think we, we need to think about that. I think God would have us think about that. Here in... Here's, here's an excerpt. Influence is the ability to affect the character, beliefs, actions of another. Leadership carries a certain amount of influence with it. People with influence can use that influence to help others, or they can use that influence for their own purpose. When leaders who are in positions to influence others become disgruntled, several things happen at once. For an example... Suppose one of the church leaders becomes offended by something the pastor did. Well, that doesn't happen here because, I mean, I know Pastor Dave and Becky. They're like the best pastors ever. I mean, right? So that can't happen. But if it was to happen, the leader may tell others about the offense or just indicate that something's wrong. And then gossip spreaders try to fill in the blanks to explain why the leader's not their usual selves. 
The offended leader may decide it's time for a change, so they step down from their leadership position and start visiting other churches. And people who are influenced by that person become hurt and bewildered. Well, what's happening with them? Something, you know, where there's smoke, there's got to be. Not necessarily, but... They can't understand what the problem is. Some have had more personal contact with this leader than other than they have had with the pastor. And these people may start to question the pastor's ability. How could such a godly person become so offended, they ask? There must be something more to the situation. And eventually, I'm talking about voids, by the way. Eventually, the offended leader leaves the church. Others in leader's circle are influenced and grieved. Remember, the church is a local body of believers, and when a person loses a finger or a hand, they tend to miss it. In the same way, when an important part of that local body is lost, people feel the real pain and they grieve. Part of the grief process is anger, which can easily be directed at the pastor in this kind of a situation. Isn't everything that happens in the church ultimately the pastor's fault? The buck stops with me, right? It's getting quiet in this church. <laughs> See, I can read this because I'm not the pastor of this church. You know that. I, I can have boldness and confidence because I don't know anything. So just keep smiling. No, none of these. Isn't everything that happens ultimately the pastor's fault? Is he responsible to do what God tells him to do? When someone leaves, that person's responsible for their decision. And every believer is accountable for the choices he or she makes. In John 6, Jesus experienced a church split. He told the multitude about the bread of life, and they couldn't handle it. That's John 6, 26 through 58. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. His timing was never off. He never got in the flesh. He always walked in agape love. Yet John gives the impression that not only did the Jews complain about him, John 6, 641, uh, but that many of his disciples left him at that time, John 6, 66. Jesus. I must have done something wrong. I mean, they're my children. Ultimately, it's my responsibility. No, they're people. <coughs> Just like your people. I'm people. Amen? Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And all of a sudden, you look up and half the church is gone. You begin to wonder if the church will survive. You consider going to a big church where you can hide in the crowd. You wonder, is a church really a healthy place to be at all? And suddenly, there aren't enough workers in the children's ministry. Funds are tight. Pastor sermons are more somber. You talk to friends from other churches who say they've heard your church is going through a hard time. This is not the time to abandon ship. This is the time to get out the letter you wrote to yourself when you joined the church. Remind yourself of the reasons you originally knew this pastor was Jesus' gift to you. Encouraging yourself in the Lord with those reasons. I'm talking about voids, and we do this in our families. We do this in our friendships where things happen, and we just leave, not thinking about what's left behind. Now, enough about the pits and the void. Let's talk about the wells. Because I want to be a well maker. Because well makers serve generations. And when I think of wells, I actually think of Isaac. You'll see this in Genesis chapter 26. You know, Abraham, his life was so blessed. He, he's just, it's expanding faster than they can keep up. In Genesis 26 verse 18, Isaac is Abraham's son. And here it says, Isaac digged again. The wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham, and he called their names after the names of which his father had called them. That's Genesis chapter 26, verse 18. Let's go back to verse 15. So what happened, we see here in verse 15. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham... His father, the Philistines, had stopped them up, or they'd filled them back up. So after Abraham had died, the Philistines came in, not honoring what Abraham did. They weren't honoring Isaac. They came in and said, we're going to stop these up. We don't, 
want these here anymore. We don't need these here. Abraham, Isaac doesn't need these here anymore. But the promise that Abraham got, remember Abraham got a promise that he'd be the father of many nations, right? What does that involve? That involves his lineage. Yes. So Abraham's promise is Isaac's promise. Yes. Isaac's promise is Jacob's promise. Amen. Amen. Jacob's promises are to his sons. It's, it, 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 it goes through. So those wells that Abraham dug, Isaac needed to have as well. But the Philistines stopped them up with her. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. So come down to verse 20. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen. So the, you know, of course, Isaac's, they've got livestock. They've got hired guys to take care of those. But the Philistines had livestock as well. And so, you know, they, they had problems. Water is a big thing. You've got to keep your livestock watered. And so they're fighting with each other. They're striving with each other. And so... Isaac called the name, verse 20, of that well, Essek, which means strife. Why? Because they're striving, man. It's a tough place to be. You get hired on as a crew hand on that team, you don't want to go to Essex because you're going to have to be a fighter. You're going to have to be a scrapper. Amen? Amen? Verse 21, And they digged another well and strove for that also, and the name of it is Sitna, which means opposition. Boy, things aren't going, it's not easy. Here's the, you know, think about this. Isaac must have been thinking, well, God, you promised my father Abraham, and you said as you were with him, you'd be with me, and you gave him a promise. Why are we having so much opposition? Maybe we're not supposed to be here. You ever thought that when things are hard? Don't let how things are determine the plan of God for your life. So the first one is strife. The second one is opposition. And verse, 20, uh, verse 22, And he removed from thence and digged another well, and for that they strove not. So he finally found a place where he wasn't going to be fighting with the locals. So they found a third one. And he strove not, and he called the name of it Rehoboth, which means broad places. Finally found a good open place place. Hallelujah. Here's the thing about wells. It takes work to dig them. They just aren't there. Hallelujah. You know, there's a lot of things in my life that I had to start from scratching, but there's some things I didn't. I was blessed, you know. I was blessed. I'm a first generation believer. My wife, she came to Jesus in her own, but she's a second generation. What do you mean by that, Pastor? She grew up, you know, she was, uh, Pastor Dave and Becky gave their lives to God. And I don't mean they just, you know, said a prayer and then went on with their life as normal. They gave their lives to God. Things in their life turned around. So she lived most of her life in a family with parents who were living for Jesus. Before they were even pastors. Or functioned in the pastorate. That wasn't my case. I'm a first generation. And, and so um, there are things that in my life, there was nothing put before me that I could partake of. There wasn't a well there for me just to draw from. There weren't resources. There wasn't a safety net. There wasn't counsel. Nobody had been that way before. And, I, and I, I'll, share this, I'll share this in. One of the great blessings, my father passed away in 1985. I was just a teenager. Um, but when... Nicole and I got married, you know, Pastor Dave legally, technically, is my father-in-law, but he's my dad. Right. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. I call him, we meet together. Can't do that at family gatherings, because men can't really talk at family gatherings. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Can I hear an amen, guys? Amen. I mean, the moment the conversation starts, you're going to have a crowd. Right. So we just, I just call him up, because... There's a provision. See, God's faithful. He'll provide. Yes. And it's not because he's my father-in-law. If he wasn't my father-in-law, I found that in that man. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is the, the wells in your life, maybe you're like me and you didn't have wells where you're at and you had to dig them. Here's the thing is you can. Dig the well. Because life's just not about you and it's not just about me. Life is going to be about what we leave. 
Maybe you've had pits in your life. You've been hurt by pits. You've, there's been things that have been done on purpose to hurt you like the pits. Don't leave pits for people, for your children. Don't leave the scars of your pits. Joseph came out of that pit and he just kept looking to God, kept trusting to God. Eventually he was in a place to bring salvation to his very family that didn't know how. It's like Jesus, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Maybe like, maybe there's a void. People just left you. But don't, you're not that person. And you know those, those who are behind you, be it your grandkids. Sometimes it's not even your grandkids, your physical family. Sometimes it's people who God joined you with, brothers, sisters in Christ. Amen. And what you're leaving is wells. That what I've dug here, and there's provision here, and as you come by this way, know there's a well. You know how many times in, in our children's lives that I'll make the mention, because, you know, you work with your kids. They don't tell your kids, you know, kids, you know, especially as they get, you know, when they're little, there's concrete authority, but it all changes. At some point, they become adults. They're their own people. And one of the things that I would constantly say is understand that we don't believe what we believe and do what we do because we're pastors in a church. We believe and and live in such a way long before we ever were pastors. And here's the thing. It didn't even start with us. All the people you really love and know in your life that, that, that don't go away after you graduate and move the tassel, these are people in your life. It's been working in them. It's working in us. And it's working in you. Paul tells Timothy, I am persuaded that the faith that's in you, listen, it was in your grandma. I saw it in your mom, and I am persuaded it's in you also. What's he talking about? He's talking about people who dug wells, and those wells weren't just for them. It was for their children and for their grandchildren. It was for their friends. It was for their neighbors. It was for the people in their lives. That anybody who's in need coming by this way can receive from that well. And I want to encourage you, you know, Once again, Psalms. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. But you know something else that's going to be behind me? You're going to find places where people can get refreshment. You're going to find places where there's provision. Because I choose to be a well digger. Amen. 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 Would you bow your heads this morning? Father, this morning I I just know because I, I know because we're people come from all kinds of different paths through different circumstances. Father, individuals in this place, Father, who even this day as they've seen the picture on the screen with that man standing down in that deep hole, that's what they feel like. That's what they, and some have believed that that's what their life and the boundaries of their life are supposed to be, just that little small hole. But Father, that's not, that's not what you've planned for them. You've planned for them to come out of that place. To come out of that hole of pain and regret and shame. To come out of that place. To fill that hole in. And to move on. To walk away from that imprisoned place. Father, there are individuals in this place who've been touched in life because people have left gaps. They've left holes. They've left things undone. And we don't focus on why they left. It wasn't because they hated us. could have been because of their own pain. But Father, what we do focus on is, Father, we have been touched with a, a void. And Father, we know that you've created us to be connected not only with you but with people, that we're not walking alone. And Father, Father, we choose to trust. We choose to reach out. We choose to walk together and to risk to risk relationships and to risk hurt. We choose, Father, to have people in our lives and to not go it alone. And Father, when we're tempted to run, when we're tempted to, to retreat, when we're tempted, Father, I pray that you would remind us of the supply that comes through us of who we are, that we stay together, that we pray, we look, we believe, we work it through. And Father, lastly, I pray today, I pray, Father, that we be mindful of the kinds of things we can leave for others, the things that serve us. Hallelujah. Father, so that our children are like the children of Psalms that speak blessing about their mother, speak blessing about their father. They're not having to do it in faith. They're doing it because of the fruit. Father, that we be a people that truly goodness and mercy Follow us in abundance because you are working through us. So we live purposefully this day. 
We thank you that you are a builder together with us. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Stand to our feet this morning. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Jesus is a builder of his church. I'm his church. My brother's his church. My sister's his church. And when he builds us, the church is being built. Amen. I want you to see this building is not the church. You are the church. Amen. And the church is a place of refuge for the hurting. Who's that? People. The church is a place of mercy for people. Who is that? You are. Hallelujah. When God shows mercy, guess who it comes through? It comes through you. When God shows favor, who does it come through? It comes through you. When God shows forgiveness to the guilty, who does it come through? It comes through you. Hallelujah. Just like that woman there, Jesus in his great wisdom. Okay, let's start the stoning. And we're going to start with the one who has no sin. And from oldest to youngest, they dropped their rocks and they walked away until only he was there. Now, we can't repeat that story because we have sinned. But what we can't be in that story is, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to show mercy. Amen? What are we doing? Here's a well that I've been blessed to draw out of. The mercy of God. The goodness of God. The forgiveness of God. The love of God. And guess who carries that water? We do. Amen? I just want to encourage you as you go this morning. I'm telling you, there are people in your life, there are people in your life, and you are going to be the hand of God that touches them. Your words are going to be the things that they hear. You're going to be, you're going to be the salt and the light that comes from heaven that they will only taste and see of Him because of you. I want to encourage you as you go, think that way. It'll change with what you leave behind you. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. We got a lunch prepared, I understand. Amen. How Anybody in here hungry this morning? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Let's ask God's blessing upon it. Father, I thank you for the, the wonderful good hands and people in the hearts who've prepared this good food. We thank you, Father, that it's blessed. You, you bless our bread and the water. You remove sickness and disease from our midst. We thank you for the fellowship. Thank you, Father, for the, the wonderful, sweet fellowship of this body of believers. Thank you for this food blessed to the nourishing of our bodies. And we pray, Father, a blessing upon Pastor Dave and Becky as they're with family and as they travel uh, back, back home. We thank you, Father, for blessing them, refreshing them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for coming.